Um, you know, I think it's all parts. And that's why probably why I kept listening to it, because each time there's something new. It's like, you know, one time a lyric will jump out like the streets on fire, real death waltz. Like, I, I mean, you keep hearing a new piece of the lyric that's like, wow. And then you listen to it the next time. It's like, oh, man, I didn't focus enough on, on the saxophone solo last time. Um, and the way it just kind of goes, starts in one place. And I feel like by the end of it, you're almost exhausted from going through the entire trial of the story but you need to repeat it immediately because it's like wait i i missed something and i want it again <laughs> like it's everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Listing Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson, and joining me today, we are merging two of my favorite topics. We are talking comic books, and we are talking Bruce Springsteen, and, um, you know, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, this is the one degree of Ron Martz, who, <laughs> on my birthday said, hey, I've got a birthday present for you. Do you want me to connect you to another comic book writer who loves Bruce Springsteen? Like, duh. And so he introduced me to Stephanie. Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's so great to be here. Now, do you like Stephanie, Steph? I answer to either. Okay. I, I switch back and forth and have no preference. Okay. Well, I will probably not be consistent at either one at all. Um, so why don't we start out? Just uh, give us your elevator pitch. Tell us a little about yourself. Sure. Um, well, I'm a comic writer from Tampa, Florida. I currently live in Buffalo, and I've written all over the place. Uh, DC Comics, Dark Horse, uh, Image, Top Cow. Uh, yeah, so kind of just all over the place, writing kids' books, action, uh, superheroes, everything in between. So, um, yeah, and also currently finishing my PhD at the University of South Florida, which I'm almost done with. <laughs> What uh what are you, what are you getting your doctorate in? Rhetoric and composition. At some places it's like a facet of an English department. Some places it's in com. Uh, at USF it's in the English department. So I do like visual rhetoric and I look at images and the life of images and how we can like better understand and unpack imagery. Oh, nice. That sounds good. Fits into comics very nicely. <laughs> I bet. And um, it I, I this could set the expectation that you should have an awesome answer to the Mary question. I'm just teasing. <laughs> so the pressure's on, right? Yeah. Um, uh, so uh, I don't know if you've uh, had a chance to listen up episodes, but I always like to start at the beginning. So talk about where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to? Uh, so grew up in Tampa, Florida, and most of my music, if not all, has really come from my dad. Um, so when I was a kid, he would sing like a really weird variety of things to get me to go to bed. Uh, Meatloaf and Billy Joel, um, Gilligan's Island theme song was a favorite of mine. Oh, how fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a good list of things. I, I, I don't know how Meatloaf made its way in there, but I remember the first time my dad played it when I was like in a car seat and the beginning of, uh, Bad Outta Hell is just a motorcycle, mm -hmm. like revving. And my dad had it up super loud, and I was just covering my ears, but it it became uh, a bedtime song. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> the weirdest bedtime song, but that's, uh, you know, that makes sense with my dad. And uh, really anything he listened to, which he's very eclectic, uh, you know, and a lot of it fed into, like, I didn't know what was my music for the time period. So, like, right. I loved Duran Duran. And at some point in... I want to say middle school, I went to a Duran Duran concert and I was very confused about why I was the only middle school. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> okay, where's the rest of the crew? Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> I was like, this is odd. Like I, I brought a friend with me from my middle school, but she didn't really have much of a reference for what she was going to. She just knew free concert. So it was, um, it was, it was definitely weird, but uh, yeah, everything my dad listened to kind of became mine and just, 
filtered in. So if my dad liked it, I know some people with their parents are like, oh, it's not cool if my dad likes it. But if my dad was reading it, watching it, listening to it, I wanted it and I wanted to know what it was. So um, and and around the time, um, what's that downloading website we all used in like the 90s? Yes, something like Napster. Yeah, like the day, we, yeah. the day we learned that that existed, I just remember there was like this family meeting for my dad to be like, all right, what songs are we downloading? We're doing this once. And it turned into like a music education of him just being like, well, have you heard of Johnny Cash? And just like kind of going down this list of like, like this weird, it was before an iPod, but it was like this weird silver sure. brick. He was just like, you're getting all the music that I need you to have. And I don't think that brick lasted more than a week, but <laughs> but it was, it was a good playlist. So I don't know if you – and um, I did not warn you beforehand, but I'll tell you now. We The show tends to go on tangents. So I don't know if you watched Ken Burns' documentary on country music. No. Okay, so – I, whether you're a fan of country music or not, it is absolutely amazing. Um, he he goes to the roots of country music, and one of the things that was unique about this documentary is he talked about in the past when he did baseball in Civil War and mm-hmm. the Roosevelts, historians came on and told stories. He yeah. said, and he had a lot of historians for country music, but he started interviewing um, artists, musicians. And they were telling the same story and telling it better. So um, so he said that he ended up doing a lot more of, um, you know, musicians talking. And the reason I bring it up is um, Roseanne Cash was in – she said she was in uh, her, her dad's bus, Johnny Cash. And he started asking, what do you know this song? Do you know this song? Mm-hmm. And she says he ended up giving her, and I don't remember the number, but I want to say like a hundred songs. Like, okay, here, here is your music lesson, you know, Roseanne. Go listen to these, and then I will feel like you know we can we can talk in in, in a loving way. So that's kind of nice. Um, was your mom just not as much into music, or your dad was such such a force? I would say, I guess my dad was more of a force of like, here's like giving things to me. Um, My mom's, I had a couple things from my mom and I, I mean, it was like 80s female pop singers, which I don't think ever quite grabbed me the way something like Billy Joel did. Um, I want to say she had given me a Tiffany CD at some point, which like, there's definitely a a couple good poppy Tiffany songs. Sure. but the, and my mom is also a little bit more contemporary. Like my dad and I will listen, like not listen to the radio, but we kind of have our own music. Sure. And my mom uh, listens to the radio and loves she loves Bon Jovi. She loves Ed Sheeran, um, which I support for her. Sure. <laughs> but it's never really been my my thing exactly, even though one of those people is from a wonderful state where other artists originate from so absolutely now so you're getting into high school are you still focused on kind of this your own little bubble of music or did you start with peer pressure and just with other friends becoming more aware of what was currently um popular definitely more aware because i think it became like a it became more of a cultural thing, like in the early 2000s to be in high school and uh, like kind of being swept up by like the emo craze of yeah. My Chemical Romance and Fallout Boy and Panic at the Disco, mm-hmm. um, Taking Back Sunday. I'm trying to think of some others that were. Sure. I, I know I really liked Motion City Soundtrack. So kind of that like emo pop punk yeah. <laughs> uh, Blink-182 which not not always my favorite. I liked, you know, Alkaline Trio, things a little bit darker. Okay. Um, so, I, you know, I still always kept up. Like, you know, high school was the first time I went with my dad to see Bruce. So those things were definitely still in my life. But okay. I, you know, I'd make a playlist that had a, a Bruce song on it and like a Cheap Trick song coupled with like My Chemical Romance and nice. <laughs> Under Oath. <laughs> it was like, uh, it, it, you'd get whiplash. Sure. Well, <laughs> um, and, and that was part of the fun of back with Napster, you know, you could just download and have these great, you know, diversity and songs. Well, you've yeah. mentioned Bruce, so 
can you remember when you discovered him and and what about his music spoke to you? Yeah, I absolutely remember. And I think that's why Bruce has always stuck out to me, because that moment of first hearing him was just uh, like, I don't really remember the first time I've heard many other musicians, if at all. But uh, Bruce just really sticks out. Uh, I was probably, again, early middle school, late elementary, some somewhere around maybe sixth grade or something. And um, every morning we would go to or not every morning, every probably like Sunday morning, we'd go to a bookstore together as a family. Uh, my dad likes books and music. so okay. <laughs> I, I'm not far off from him. And uh, I think it was a time where like borders, you know, would have this like CD sale because we're getting to the end of when people really want CDs anyways. Right. Um, and my dad found like a bunch of Bruce CDs on sale and he was just thrilled. So we bought all of them. And uh, on the way home, the the first song he put on was Jungle Land. And that was that was it. Like, I didn't even need to know that Bruce had more music. I just wanted Jungle Land on repeat all day, every day. It took a while for me to stop just listening to Jungle Land on repeat. <laughs> it was uh, just I was just like, wow, wh what is this? I need I need this song and I'm not going to be done with it for a while because there's just so much to listen to and unpack here. Um and I even remember like the power. I mean, it's Florida. We have a lot of hurricanes. I think sure. it was hurricane season. So the power was out, but only in half of the house, which is <laughs> makes sense in Florida. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so half of my room had power, like right where the, the entrance to the bathroom started. So I plugged my radio into the bathroom and laid on the bathroom floor so I could just continue listening to Jungle Land on repeat because I was just not ready to give it up. And that was my that was my entire weekend was just that one song. And I think once I forgot to hit repeat and I went to the next song and I was like, oh, there's more. <laughs> so, did, so, Steph, did can, I mean, it's now this is multi years later. Can, is it just the epic story of Jungle Land? Is it the the saxophone that is you know, legendary. I mean, yeah. what did you just like, I want to know more about this story where you captivated mm -hmm. the story. What about it? Um, you know, I think it's all parts and that's why probably why I kept listening to it because each time there's something new, it's like, you know, one time a lyric will jump out, like the streets on fire, real death waltz. Like, I, I mean, you keep hearing a new piece of the lyric that's like, wow. And then you listen to it the next time. It's like, oh man, I didn't focus enough on, on the saxophone solo last time. Mm -hmm. Um, and the way it just kind of goes, starts in one place. And I feel like by the end of it, you're almost exhausted from going through the entire trial of the story, but you need to repeat it immediately because it's like, wait, I, I missed something and I want it again. <laughs> like it's, Cause, it's so good. Cause even Bruce sounds tired at the end, right? Like after the mm -hmm. saxophone, he's like, you know, he's almost a, a speaking, this quiet, you know, kind of, okay, I, I've been tired and going through that. That's great. Um, when you, got past jungle land uh what were the next step you went in discovering bruce and his music um you know i think the album that at least i stayed on for a while was probably born in the usa just uh you know sure. i think it's the one my dad handed me and uh there's i'm with i mean i i was about to say there's not a bad song on it as if there's any bad songs on sure. any bruce cds um but, you know, I kind of stuck with it. And I think because I liked every song, uh, it was a while before my dad gave me the next one and then the next one kind of like lending me bits and pieces at a time. Um, but Thunder Road really, really stuck out to me as like the next one that I, I became engrossed in. Uh, my Bruce tattoo is actually a Thunder Road tattoo with my dad's handwriting kind of going across an outline of Bruce. Um yeah, it's so I had him write it. That <laughs> he is so awesome. That too. Yeah. <laughs> it's show a little faith. There's there's magic in the night in in my dad's handwriting, which is really recognizable handwriting for our family. Yeah. Um, and because it was kind of our thing, like you know, he would take me to Bruce concerts. Uh, I got like a little outline of Bruce with the lyrics kind of going through it. So, um, and you know, it was one of the earlier songs by Bruce I had heard, and I I think maybe one of the differences for me. You know, I've listened to some of your other guests, like 
at my point when I was discovering Bruce, so much of this music had already been out, like multiple right. volumes of greatest hits and things like that. So I'm kind of getting the chance to dive in and discover it from an angle of having this like super wide library to, to swim through kind of made um, kind of made for like a cool project for me to like sit there once I discovered there was so much more and just go through and like study lyrics and I think it was in middle school, but like Google didn't exist yet, but I, somebody gave me the link to a website for lyrics. And I was like, this is the best thing ever. I just want to read, like, I don't know why, but I wanted to read lyrics all day. Mm -hmm. And there's nobody's lyrics that were just more fascinating for me to read than Bruce. So um, if I wasn't listening to Bruce, I was reading Bruce lyrics or yeah. doing both in tandems. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just had um, Kevin Hader, who is a singer-songwriter, um, mm -hmm. and he, he he put out an album called Ohio, which is him doing um, acoustical versions of Bruce's songs in the style of Nebraska. <laughs> and in, in the interview, he talked about that he thinks a lot of Bruce's songs are like psalms, like as in the Psalms of David. Mm -hmm. That they and I and I saw that and I and I get that and I appreciate that. All right, so you give me a couple of things, but before I, the next question I want to ask is, and I always preface this that the amount of times you've seen Bruce live is not a fair barometer of how big of a fan you are. I absolutely there are people that have never had a chance to see him live that adore his music, and there are people that uh, because of their age and their financial difficulty may have seen once or twice. But just for the record, how many times have you seen him perform live? Three, but so let's see, two of them were like E Street Band Bruce performances that I saw in Tampa, both times with my dad. Um, and then the third time more recently, I flew to New York City to see Bruce on Broadway. So nice. a little, yeah, a little different than the regular Bruce concert, oh. but it is <laughs> the greatest live I, I don't even know. I guess, you know, there is music, so it's hard to say concert, but just like live experience in general, it was absolutely uh, one of the greatest things that I've ever gotten to do. And it's one of those moments where like, you know, I entered the lottery just thinking like, if I, you know, I, I was living in Tampa, so I was like, yeah. why would I, why would I enter this lottery? I'm sure they're too expensive, but I ended up, uh, I, I don't think I got in on the first wave of the lottery for it, but I they reopened more slots sure. later on, and I got one of those. And I was like, you know what? This is one of those things that I just I feel like I don't want to miss. You know, like I just feel like yeah, for absolutely. me, you know, I wanted that experience. Uh, and uh, you know, I made it work. I went and uh, I think I timed it just right to a convention too, so I could like yeah. be there. It's, yeah, like okay, I, you know, I'm kind of working this out. Uh, that's good. Yep. yep. Did, um, so I, we're I'm gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about your writing and your comic work in a, in a few minutes, but from a writer's perspective, um, his autobiography and the and I actually think there's a trilogy. I think there's the autobiography. I think there's Broadway. And then I think Western Stars. I think mm -hmm. of a trilogy of him telling his story. As a fan, and I was lucky enough to go to Broadway as well. I got to go and, and was just I, – I remain in, internally grateful to my wife that we had mm -hmm. no business letting me do this. I got <laughs> the same thing you like, I'm, and I didn't have a convention to go to, right? Like there was yeah. there was no – I mean this was all on our um, – and she said, no, this is, this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing. You've got to go. Mm -hmm. um, but from a writer perspective, what did you think – I guess, and take your pick, you all or three or just, especially I want to hear about the show though. Um, so, I mean, I think that there was something I, I know, you know, reading the autobiography, I found really fascinating. Obviously Bruce is just a really interesting person growing up with that music and loving it so much and knowing about him was important, but seeing it as part of the performance and wrapped into the music, I think brought that aspect to life, like hearing him read excerpts and, um, wrapping it into how it formed a certain song or his, or his perspective on his own career. Like in that moment with him standing there alone, no band just made it like the most raw thing you could possibly do. And I felt like that was, that for me was like the most 
essential Bruce, if that makes sense. Like that was the most real version. Like somebody who's just there talking to you. Here's the thing I have to say. And uh, I felt like even though some of those things I knew from the autobiography, they hit in a different way coming out of his mouth in that moment. Uh, you know, being close enough to see an earring or a bead of sweat and, you know, watch every little way that this person just interacted like normal, less of the showmanship Bruce with yeah. uh, Clarence or the rest of the band and things like that. And that was, uh, I think, what made it way more special than I was even realizing. Like there were things that felt more emotional, things I already knew about Bruce <laughs> that felt more emotional in that moment than I could have ever anticipated just because you're hearing it in that raspy Bruce drawl yeah. <laughs> that, that um, was really special. Yeah, I had gone and, and one of my best friends, Sam, um, was had gotten tickets in the second wave and he was like I'm not a big fan of my father's house I don't know I, I, I wouldn't have picked that song and I, I said well I said wait till after you go to the show I said because I will tell you I have never been a fan of the blues version of Born in the USA I just mm-hmm. like I skip that song if I'm on 18 tracks you know I just <laughs> I don't care for it I said but mm-hmm. in context of the story that he shares, <laughs> it was perfect. And so Absolutely. after Sam came back, he said, you were right. He said, um, my father's house was incredibly powerful. And it, and I, I will not second guess him again. He knew what <laughs> he was doing. So <laughs> that, that's awesome. Um, I, I made a note and I want to ask you, is you mentioned that you were lucky in a lot of ways that there was this this a mass of material mm-hmm. that you're going in. And, and I had a similar experience, Stephanie, um, in 1977. I had just graduated high school. I stumbled into a Montgomery Wards just looking for something to do and bought Endless Summer by the Beach Boys, an 8-track. Mm-hmm. First time I'd ever heard the Beach Boys, fell in love with them. And so I'm going and finding every Beach Boy 8-track you know, album cassette I could find. And in 77, there's a lot because, you know, that's not anywhere near their heyday. What was the first album that would, and I know they're all new to you, but that, in other words, the first album that had, you got new material the same time as everyone else. Oh, that's a good question. So, hmm. So it would be after I started listening to Bruce, which... I'm trying to do a little math here. Okay. Um, so we may have to look at some dates, but I don't okay. want to say, I don't want to say that 41 shots was one of the newer. That was definitely after I started listening to okay. Bruce. So like the, the live in New York city, mm-hmm. you go, okay. Yeah. That's got a couple of new songs. So right. would it have been the rising in 2002? Or 2001? Yes, The Rising. Yes, because I remember I remember getting uh, live in Dublin when that one came out. But okay. yes, The okay. Rising was the first new one, followed by High Hopes. Okay, yeah. All right, very nice. Um, are you are you a fan of the of the new stuff just as much as the classic stuff? Maybe not just as much. And I think okay. some of that might be timing as well and nostalgia, like, sure. you know, the things I listen to with my dad. Yeah. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm absolutely still a fan. And there are songs on both of those that are, you know, uh, current, like, you know, on the running playlist or yeah. something all the time. And uh, I, I enjoy them a yeah. lot, but don't hit the same way for me. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I understand that. Um, is there... Um... Like when Western Stars came out last year, I mean, did you pick it up and what were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I enjoyed it. And I, I like the um, the visual component, too, like getting to yeah. see, you know, his his ranch and him play. And I, I think you're right. Like, you know, there was also a very personal element to what Bruce was doing with that one. That mm-hmm. uh, wall, it's not... You know, it's not some of my personal favorite Bruce music. It didn't have the same feel or tone or things like that. But it felt, again, a little bit more like the feeling you get of watching him live on Broadway and getting a very real, raw, exposed version of Bruce that um, 
different, but good in its own way. All right, good. All right, so we're going to go back to Bruce in a minute, but I want to talk about, like, how long have you known, like, have you always written? And and what what made you, when did you realize you wanted to write for a living? I wrote all the time as a kid. I, I had a comic going for a long, before I could even write words, I had a comic going about a werewolf and a nun. I, I don't know why we're Jewish. I've never been to church. I don't know <laughs> where that, like, icon came from but right. I, I it was just an ongoing thing this uh nun named sister steegy i created and this werewolf friend of hers they were partners i i was like three okay. <laughs> but it was an ongoing thing i wrote for a, a really long time you know my dad would fill in the word balloons for me because i couldn't write letters um and i i always loved writing and you know middle school i won like different poetry contests and um a screen not a screen a playwriting contest actually where my school performed my winning play like our drama department did uh how cool is that yeah, that was that was really neat. I mean, it was very short, but again, in like true Stephanie fashion, it was about the Boston Tea Party. So it was like my own historical fiction comedy take on the Boston Tea Party, which uh, I don't think anyone else in my grade was too uh, mm-hmm. happy about when that was performed. And like that was the subject matter. I'm sure there was a lot more groaning, but I just I was excited. So. That's great. So, um, what was your first break in writing comics? In writing comics, uh, Kicking Ice came first, um, but I was also at the same time working on the Black Mask series, Devil Within. Uh, so those two were kind of kind of simultaneously. They just appeared in the world at different times because different publishers have different schedules. Uh, so. That, that helped. Um, so, you know, I had published before comics just in academic settings. I have, you know, peer reviewed journal articles and book chapters. And um, I actually wrote a textbook at some point, which is not the most engaging writing material, but yes. it's out there. I've got it. So, there you, you know, go. My- my mom so proudly holds on to a textbook that I wrote. I'm just like, you don't need that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, you know, I was doing a lot of writing before that as well, yeah. but I I really wanted to do something a little bit more creative, especially with the subject matter that I was doing in my peer-reviewed publications, because, you know, you can look at things that are behind a paywall and see, like, okay, two people accessed this article that I put so much into about, yeah. like, feminist disability research, and that's – it's a little disheartening, but it's also how academics kind of work, where right. it's – um you know, I, I I admire a lot of my friends that are still in this profession and uh, do an incredible job as academics. But for me, I just wanted to, um, I think, tell stories and do something that also felt like I was really engaging the audience with the source material. And I've gotten to play out a lot, a lot of those themes and things that are about, like we, we were talking about kicking ice. And, yeah. you know, that's something I really cared about, which is... Uh, young girls getting involved in sports and giving people a chance to diversify sports, yeah. which is absolutely an issue. And I mean, it's a broader issue than just sports, but, um, you know, I'm taking it with some of my own personal experience playing ice hockey and um, I fought Muay Thai for a long time. So um, being able to kind of bring some of that personal engagement and experience into those about why we should diversify and, sure. uh, you know, make space for anyone that wants to play sports, I think is incredibly important. So um, there have been um, certainly collections of um, academics writing about Springsteen's music and um, his uh, themes. Is Have you ever been able to contribute to one of those? No, I haven't. And I, it would be super cool, but no, no, okay. I haven't okay. been able to do that. So one of the things I was really impressed with um, when Ron connected us, I immediately, you know, Googled. Uh, went to Amazon, you know, and I, you know, I picked up copies of your work and, um, and I, it's a very diverse catalog. And, <laughs> yes. and I mean that in a, in, in, with all compliments, um, there 
and, and there's nothing wrong with um, I, I love superhero comics, you know, I, I, I but there is um, I was just like, wow, this is some really interesting stuff. If you were going to put your if you were going to give yourself a um, a, a label. Um, what would you do? What would you call? What kind of what what kind of stories do you tell? I think I gravitate towards historical fiction, and that's something that I've kind of been building. And you know, I it's yeah. not done as often in comics, but it's no. it's definitely my comfort zone. It's what I prefer to do. But one of the reasons I've really tried to be as diverse as possible in the writing material is I don't want somebody to be like, if it's not historical fiction, she can't do it. Um, I, I mean, I definitely have strengths being able to write Ted Grant Wildcat for DC was uh, that felt like home. That's like I, I yeah. understand, you know, even though, you know, Ted is an is an older man that's retired from boxing. Um, I, you know, having gone through the experiment of retiring from the ring and no longer being able to fight and everything that that comes with. I just felt like, oh, I, you know, I kind of get this perspective. Sure. to an extent like I can put myself at Ted Ted uh very easily and that story just that felt so natural and I I loved being able to write that so even though it's not historical fiction it was something that I think played really well against some some of my own experiences sure. um, and you know being able to say even if something like A Man Among Ye the uh, pirate story I'm currently working on with Top Cow and Craig Cermak even if that is rooted in a historical setting um, one of the things we kind of intentionally did was at times, you know, they are using language and dialogue from the time period, but we didn't want it to be so bogged down to where it was a real pain to read that dialogue because it, it's one thing to hear it. You know, if they talk in like Pirates of the uh, Caribbean, yeah. you, you hear them saying it and I think you can internalize it better and make sense of it. But if you're just reading over and over again, like broken up words and old language, yeah. it becomes like forcing somebody like the reason school kids hate reading Shakespeare. So, yeah, exactly. Um, that makes sense. So we modernized it qu quite a bit. So even though it's rooted in, in history, we're still telling a really just an, a fun action story that's character driven um, that, you know, I think could equate to an action story that's set in the more modern times, but you know, pirates are super fun. So we wanted to do yeah. pirates. Uh, yeah. And that just, just started that. It, it looks like it's going to be a mini series. Yes. Uh, four issues for now. Uh, we do have some good news about the series that we'll be announcing in the coming week. Ish. Nice. Um, yeah. That we just found out today, but all good things. And uh, you good. know, hopefully all those good things will spiral into more story because um, it it definitely needs more. You know, it's it's yeah. a very character driven. This kind of first initial four books are very much setting up these characters, okay. and then um, you know we get to really see them take off as as things go on. Hopefully, after the four issues. Yeah, when I um, when I ordered um, Kicking Ice, I you know I think that came from you, and you threw in an issue of Artemis and the Assassin yeah. and. Um, really, really liked that episode. That that single issue. I it just, Thank I you. really liked the story. And uh, Descendant is next on my nightstand to read next, yeah. so I'm looking forward to that. Um, so, wh why do you think you like telling historical fiction? Um, you know, the history element again comes from my dad. My dad is big big into history he's like an amateur historian he's also okay. a book collector and um one of my chores as a kid was actually helping organize he has extensive bookshelves and library collections okay. and one of my chores was organizing and you know would be like here's the biography section and then that's alphabetized and then here's the section on you know napoleonic wars and world war ii and all of it's then alpha like mm -hmm. this whole system um but you know if my dad was reading it i again i just i was so invested and it's interesting because i think you know a lot of my friends were like oh my parents like it's so lame or i think um did you see uh blinded by the light the, the yes 
Okay, I just think of the scene where he's singing Bruce in the streets and his friend is like, oh, this is like my dad's old music. Right. And like, that's, I think, a very typical reaction. But I, you know, I'm, I'm lucky. I have two amazing parents that I, you know, I think the world of both of them and I'm interested in what both are doing at any given time. And it's like, if my mom likes it and my dad likes it, it must be cool. Um, and so, you know, I would grab my, I just remember my dad reading this giant hardcover book about Waterloo. And I was like in fourth grade and I was like, I'm going to read that. And my dad's like, you won't understand it. And I took that as like a, I'll show you. Yeah, challenge. So, so I read like this, you know, 1200 page book on Waterloo and I understood none of it. But, um, you know, I just wanted to be able to get to the end and like, you know, I, I all of a sudden knew a bunch of French generals names and yes. that was, that was the extent of it. But, uh, I've, I just like the idea that you can kind of, uh, for me, you know, I really like learning and researching and being in new eras kind of lets me change that up a lot without being too stuck in one place or time. And Artemis is kind of my sandbox for that. You know, we can go from Rasputin and the Wild West to World War Two and all over the place. And I think that that was really fun because it was just like I get to read snippets of, of all kinds of stuff for this. And um it really catered to something that just my brain wants to do. Maybe it's like just super uh, ADD. Like <laughs> on this page, I want to be in this place. And the next page, we're going to be in a completely different time period or something. Is, is there, and I, this is an easy question, maybe <laughs> too general, but are there characters that you haven't written though you would like to and and you've written for you know not only the um you know the big independents but you've written for the big you know the bigger publishers mm -hmm. too so um but is there a character like man i really would have liked right. uh, to work on that um i mean i think luckily because i'm still in the early stages of my career i think there's still hopefully time to to write some of those yeah. um I'm working on one of them now. That's uh that's a dream character. It'll be announced in in a couple months, okay. but that one is one that, you know, I I honestly never expected to get asked to write the character. So so that's been that's been really cool to get to play play with, you know, the toys of of some of these big companies. There's uh yeah, I mean, I like I like James Bond a lot. <laughs> Like a, uh, one of my favorite movies that I just c continuously come back to, especially if I have writer's block. Um, I mean, I love all the older James Bond, too, but Casino Royale is just so beautifully created yeah. that it's it's a little like Jungle Land when you keep watching something. And you're like, I never noticed that frame before. And mm -hmm. you have to pause and like think about it. Um and I'm not very good at rewatching movies, but that's on like a short list of movies I can rewatch pretty endlessly and i i would love the chance to do something with james bond i love spy thrillers um the shadow uh tarzan conan yeah um yeah there's there's some really fun stuff and you know obviously for the big two there there's quite a bit of stuff i i love sure. x23 i love green arrow so mm -hmm. um you know luckily being starting to get some of the more licensed work has has opened up some really cool opportunities and uh red tornado was one i never thought i would write and that one kind of came along and i was like "Ooh, that's that's gonna be so fun so uh yeah that one good, comes out next month good for you you know you you mentioned something about not wanting to you want to make sure you're diverse um uh you may have you you may know i one of my best friends is tom zoller uh, you hmm. may have run into him at conventions, and um, he's done. Um, he originally did a book called Love and Capes, which is <laughs> um, now IDW puts out, and and you know he he does mostly romantic uh, comedies. Hmm. He also writes My Little Pony, and uh, <laughs> some awesome. of the funny, yeah. And so, and he talked about that. You know, he's trying to. He wants to do other things too, but he also, um, you know, you you kind of have a niche that you you don't want to stray too far away from it you want to you know i i have a big sandbox of romantic comics you know is not a lot of people are doing so he therefore feels good and he's doing stuff for webtoons um you know historical fiction um is is diverse enough that you can you can explore your creativity side um and and do some fun things isn't it
Yeah, I think so. And, you know, again, being able to to move around time periods and, and like you brought up with romantic comics, it's like, well, we could have a pirate story that is also a romantic comic. I'm not saying ours isn't, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, they could be different genres within that. I just personally, I, I really like different settings. Um, yeah. I, I'm really drawn to Westerns. So um, being able to include the Western element in Artemis was a lot of fun. And I think there's something very visual about changing those settings too, or about playing with kind of old genres um, and trying to make something new. I think that's part of the fun of it. And that's one of the things that I like quite a bit about those. Um, and then also it's a little, uh, so I read a lot of Eric Larson who wrote Devil in the White City. Uh, he's written other fantastic stories. He has a new one out right now called The Splendid and the Vile about Churchill. Uh, but he has this really amazing knack. He, he doesn't write uh, fiction. Everything he writes is nonfiction. But if you read his work, it reads like fiction because it's so personal. Like he um, I think it's called In the Garden of the Beast. So it's about a the U.S. Am ambassador to Germany who's in Germany with his family at the time that Hitler is coming to power. And it's just like, you know, this is a perspective of Hitler's rise that you don't see, which is how did it directly impact a family uh, you know, it, him, his wife, his two kids, how did it impact them while they were living in Germany? And this guy that got this like very important position to go over and be the ambassador. And, um, it's just a really interesting personal perspective that draws you in. And then you get mm -hmm. to the end. It's like all of this, none of this is made up. This, this is a very real story. You're reading, you know, from their memoirs or journals and yeah. diary entries. And, uh, you know, I've always just marveled at, at Larson's ability to make something like that read with the fast paced intensity of a fiction story. And, you know, again, I, I definitely err more on the side of the fiction, but, yeah. um, you know, I like when possible, I want to include those elements where you're, you know, the, what do they say? Like reality is always stranger than fiction anyway. So being able to include some of those and, um, that's how Butcher of Paris came about, you know, just mm -hmm. being able to write about something. And it's like, it's so crazy. I couldn't have made this up. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's fascinating. Um, you know, Brad Meltzer um, it mostly does thrillers, but he did the first conspiracy, the plot to, you know, um, to overthrow George Washington. And he just put out the Lincoln conspiracy about the first assassination mm -hmm. attempt. Yeah. And he talked about that. Um, it, they, they read and he tried to write it as if it was an adventure tale because it, even though it's true, it read that way. You know, you had mm -hmm. Pinkerton and one of the first lady, uh, detectives and things like that. So, um, that's cool. That's very cool. One of the things you mentioned to me, Stephanie, is that um, you not always, but at times throw in Bruce references <laughs> into the stories, mostly to amuse your artist. And <laughs> and also, I assume us, the, the subset of people that are Stephanie Phillips fan and Springsteen fans, um, you were kind enough to send me a um, – the wildcat story and i'm like like and i'm i emailed you like okay is this 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 and you're like ding 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 yes jesse so yeah. talk to me a little bit about that yeah i mean it started with descendant i have i mean there's a direct reference one of the characters is is singing uh i'm on fire um as it, like if, if what's going on in the moment in reference of of descendant is very specific to to him singing it and it's kind of a, a joke in the moment but uh, it, it kind of turned into my letterer troy petrie that i work with on 98 percent of the things i've written is a huge bruce fan i mean he knows more about bruce than most people i've ever encountered in my right. life and it's it's fascinating like you can't trip him up like you know not that i'm like trying to quiz him or sure. something but it's just interesting to try to find like what is the limit of this knowledge mm -hmm. um but i mean it's fascinating so it started as you know he he loved that there was a uh bruce line for him to add in the comic and he was like you know i think it's the first time i've ever um lettered 
Bruce in a comic book. And I was like, well, that's cool. And then I started hiding them as like, well, let's see if he notices if there are, you know, kind of hidden Bruce references here or there. And, uh, you know, it's not in every single thing. Sometimes it's not in every single issue. Sometimes there's like one reference in a series, but, um, you know, there, I, I told him there is not one in Butcher of Paris for anybody that goes to look for it. And that was intentional because the subject matter is is very uh, dark and I didn't want to kind of make light of that. Yeah. So, but I personally sent a note to to Troy and I was like, well, you don't don't look for it in this series. Uh, adding a Bruce reference would be tougher than the rest. And he was just like, I hate you. So. <laughs> I see what you did there. Oh, I love that. That is so great. Um, so I, I, yeah. Between us, there was a Bruce reference, and there is a Bruce, Bruce reference in the reasoning for not making a reference in Butcher of Paris. But um, that is yes, awesome. you are the first person that has talked about any of the references in my DC short story. Uh, yeah. Because it's like, you know, Bruce is just such a wealth of good names. Yes, there is. <laughs> They're perfect. There is. Well, um, I, I hope um, if you end up having a fun time, you will reach out to your favorite inker and uh, favorite letterer and go, Hey, you need to join Jesse. So that would be awesome. Yes. <laughs> um, so I, I, you, you've shared how jungle land was amazing. You've mm-hmm. shared thunder road. Um, do you have a couple other songs or albums that, that mean a lot to you? It, it, are there songs that, and, and I, I preface this, you know, and I, I told you this story in an email. I, I spent 2015 unemployed for nine months, um, and it was a tough time. And I listened to Better Days and Land of Hope and Dreams almost daily to keep my spirits up. So is there, and it doesn't have to be that drastic, but are there songs that, mm-hmm. that mean a lot to you that that have a special significance? Yeah, and you know what you said about it being kind of mood-based sometimes. You know, right. lately I've been listening to uh, the album The Promise for songs like, you know, Talk to Me. Sure. Uh, like, I just, I really like that sound, and there's quite a few on that album that it's just like, these are so much fun to listen to. And it's like, this is, you know, this is a really fun poppy version of Bruce. Prove It All Night is one of my all-time favorites. It will, I, I will never, ever tire of that song. Um so uh, uh, I want to interrupt you. Okay. You're on a roll, but I just um, I don't know if you'd known, but the the thought was that Bruce, um, right around Born to Run, Darkness, wanted to do a doo-wop album, and and he ended up not doing that. And so the promise, you kind mm-hmm. of get a feeling for some of those songs were like, oh yeah, I could see that on kind of rock and yeah. roll doo-wop album, absolutely, right? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So oh, it's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, uh, I think within the last few years, I got really invested. Like, I, I like Tom Morello and Rage, Rage Against the Machine. And uh, Morello, I heard a version of him doing Ghost of Tom Joad. And it kind of, kind of made me revisit the song. And it has booted that one pretty high up. Um, I mean, obviously, Bruce is original is really sure. good. But it was something about, like, hearing Morello do it reminded me, like, man, that was such a good song that I don't listen to enough. Um, and then kind of a song that became my song when I think of my dad is When You Need Me. Uh, just sure. kind of, you know, always having that really stable person in your life that I, you know, I'm really lucky to have. And uh, When You Need Me just kind of, uh, you know, every once in a while it's really cheesy, but I could listen to that and I kind of tear up a bit because I'm just I mean, I'm lucky for, for both of my parents, but it was a song that like I had explicitly talked to my dad, like, this is our song. That's nice. <laughs> and so, um, a lot of personal meetings to me. Yeah, that's, that's, that's lovely. That's so lovely. Um, Stephanie, what haven't I asked you that I should have asked you? Hmm. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't think I can think of anything specifically. All right. So, I've told this story multiple times. Uh, there was, um, and I cannot remember his name, but um, he, um, we finished our podcast. We finished our discussion. It was a good discussion. We had a really good mm-hmm. time. And, and afterwards, you know, I'd, I'd already turned off recording and 
um, he's like, oh, and next time I should tell you about the time I got drunk with the E Street Band. Like, what? <laughs> what? 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 How do you not leave with that story? Right? Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, I guess the one really, really funny Bruce cross section story uh, that my very first semester of college, um, they made freshmen come in like a, like the summer before so like three weeks ahead of regular classes and they give you like this very random class to take and mine was philosophies of the buddha with a professor whose last name was Getz, but i cannot remember his first name okay and this class was not philosophies of the buddha it was philosophies of bruce but ah. it was disguised and like the chances of me being in this class like he once made us meditate to a Bruce album. <laughs> like, that is awesome. I was just uh, blown away that I, like, out of the luck, and I was like, oh, okay, I think I'm going to like college. And uh, I think it was, like, the a few months later, Bruce was in Tampa, and I happened to see him front and center. You know, my dad and I were a little further back, mm -hmm. but he was a very notable... He looked like Santa and Buddha had a baby. And so he was a very easy to identify human. And I was like, oh, there's that professor front and center. That right is awesome. <laughs> that is so awesome. That is a great story. Very nice. Um, okay. So Mary question. Um, for those of you who this is your first podcast, thank you for listening. But uh, Jay Armstrong is a high school teacher in the Philadelphia area. He teaches honors English and his seniors Every year, he takes two days, and they break down Thunder Road as a poem. Um, <laughs> they cover through every lyric. Um, he looks at all the imagery that Bruce uses, and uh, it's often he compares it to Robert Frost, um, The Road Not Taken, and mm -hmm. other American poems. And at the end of the two days, after they've gone through every line by line, he asks his uh, students, does Mary get in the car? So, Stephanie, that is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? <laughs> My answer is not. Like, it's not going to be very prolific in any way, but uh, my initial thought when you posed this over the email and I, I saw this come through was, I mean, absolutely, but by Bruce's own admission, he didn't learn to drive until very late in life. Yes. So you, you asked to drive the car. <laughs> <laughs> Sure, I'll go with you, but you are not driving. <laughs> I love that answer. Uh, Mary's like, yes, I'll get with you, but scoot over. I'm <laughs> yeah. driving out of here to win. Hand over the keys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is great. Oh, thank you so much. Um, okay, so Stephanie, um, if someone wants to buy your books, talk to us. What's the best way? for them to uh, get you and and to I, I always ask that when I have musicians on because um, d depending on which format you go to uh, the the creator gets a few more pennies so mm -hmm. talk to me if we want to read your comics what's the best way to get them usually through your your uh, local comic shop is best but obviously comicsology has I think everything digitally, uh, okay. you know, if that doesn't work, Amazon is a backup. Uh, okay. I don't, I don't keep too many comps of my own stuff. They're appropriated by my mother and hung on the wall of Stephanie that graces yes. their, their home to which both of my siblings have protested loudly. And my mom felt so bad. She had to, uh, create a version of, they're a wall for each of them uh, but you know they don't do something as highly visual as I do so right. it's uh, it's made for a very interesting room in the uh, Phillips household so that is nice <laughs> so I don't personally sell too much of my stuff outside of conventions okay. but you know I always encourage supporting your local comic shop when you can how um how how rough has it been no conventions not, you know what? I have not been sick at all. <laughs> well, that's good. Yes, that's nice. No con crud. No, no con crud, right? Absolutely. I think that's like one of the best parts. Like I, I really do miss, like I did a, a pre-recorded panel for San Diego Comic Con with um, a bunch of people from Image and, and Top Cow. And it was just like, it, like at some point I realized I was like kind of just 
giggling and I was like just because I'm so giddy to like be talking like and also seeing them and like interacting as this whole group and it felt like being together that you know I've been sitting here like oh I don't miss cons I'm fine but then I was like uh you know what I think there's definitely an element to this that um you know I think a lot of us that work in a very solitary fashion are are missing but but I'm healthy so that's good good. yeah um (laughs) You know, um, they have not officially canceled Dragon Con yet, though I'm, I can't see how they're not going to with as yeah. many people are in Atlanta, just all thrown in all those, um, uh, you know, hotel lobbies, uh, especially <laughs> after, you know, uh, at, in the evenings of the convention. So, um, <laughs> but hopefully next year we will get back. And, uh, if someone wants to, reach you on social media or on your website. Tell us how we can do that. I pretty much only use Twitter, which is at Steph underscore smash. Okay. Very nice. Sounds good. Um, Stephanie, this was a blast. Thank you so much. I hope you had fun. Yeah, absolutely. It was great. Thank you so much for having me. I just, um, I, I love your passion. I love your work. I, I'm, I'm very happy that Ron sent your way because not only did I get a great guest, but I got a new, um, a new writer to follow and some yeah. to chat. So thank you so much for that. Hang tight while I do a business. If you want to be on the podcast and share your Springsteen story, I'd love to have you. Several ways to reach us. You can go, I'm at Jesse Jackson DFW on Twitter. The show is setlustingbruce at gmail.com. Uh, we have a Facebook page. We have a website. Uh, but usually Twitter is the best way to get a hold of me as well. Uh, please go to iTunes, rate and review the podcast. Uh, say nice things about us and share this with your friends. If you have anyone who loves music or is a Springsteen and or a Springsteen fan, tell them about the podcast and so let them check it out. Um, Stephanie, this was great. I, um, I now feel like I should go pull down jungle land and listen to it because I have a confession. It is not one of my favorite Springsteen songs. What is your favorite Springsteen song? Um, probably, um, land of hope and dreams, um, mm-hmm. better days. Um, I, um, obviously thunder road and other songs, but for some reason, um, and I always get crucified on social media about this <laughs> when someone says, okay, controversy time. What's a Bruce's song that you just don't get? And I always go, okay, I'm going to show this. And then duh <laughs> is jungle land. And they're like, what Jesse, what are you I'm like? I recognize the greatness. I understand that's one of the greatest saxophone solos in the world. I, mm-hmm. I I'm not denying that it's an epic song. It just doesn't speak to me emotionally. Yeah. Um, but now I was that after... way with Tom Joad for so long. And I yeah. think part of that was the age I came to Springsteen. I would listen to that and just be like, I don't, I don't get it. And then again, when I heard the Morello thing being much older, I was yeah. able to revisit the Bruce one. And I, I was like, all right, I, I'm into this now. Like it took, it took a long time, but I came around. <laughs> so my friend Sam says it's because he says you, he says you do not love like the first couple of albums with that style. He says, you know, um, you know, New York Serenade and other songs yeah. that just, they don't mean as much to you versus like one step up from, um, you know, from, um, tunnel of love, you know, mm-hmm. and, and tougher than the rest. And other, you know, the songs there there's, they speak to me emotionally. Um, like, and I, you talked about high hopes, um, you know, Frankie fell in love. I adore, uh, this is your sword. I feel is almost biblical, religious, especially mm-hmm. during this, COVID time, but I will tell you, after hearing you talk about that, I, I really am planning to um, get my headphones out, throw Jungle Land on, <laughs> and like, okay, this is for you, Stephanie. I'm going to listen to this multiple times awesome. and see what we could do. All right, so you've helped me a, out. It has a real impact if the power goes out, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Uh, all right. Uh, thank you. I, I've kept you long enough. I hope you have a great night. Um, my hope that we can meet at a show. And I certainly hope that can we can meet at a comic convention where I can buy you a uh, beverage and we can share stories and we can 
the rest of the people who got to dinner with us, we can beat them down with Springsteen references. <laughs> that sounds great. The ideal evening. <laughs> sounds great. All right. Listeners, you stay safe. Please be careful. Go check out Stephanie's work. Uh, you will have a great time. They are some wonderful. And we will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, Set Listening Bruce. Set Listening Bruce is part of the Southgate Media Podcast Group. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.